What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It's February 5th, 2023. And I got some recent feedback. I always ask for the feedback. I say, if you guys are listening to the show, direct message me at bshafer12 on Twitter and let me know what you want out of this podcast that I'm not currently doing. And well, I got some feedback the other day from somebody who said, hey, love the podcast, but just get into it. Quit with all the intro stuff. So I'm going to get right into it. I've got Kyle Reese here with me tonight, the prospect man himself. Kyle, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, bud. How are you? I'm doing great. And there's just, there's going to be no, you know, dressing this up. We're just going to dive right in because the people say, hey, you're taking too long with the intro. So guess what? Not doing any of that tonight. We're here for a very special reason, Kyle, and I appreciate you for joining me. The very special reason is that you put out a poll that I think is better than any poll I've ever done on Twitter. And I've been doing polls for a long time, but I love everything about this poll, the premise behind it, the reason you did it. The results are hilarious. And I wanted to bring you on, talk about it. And it's about Jordan Walker. That's basically the main thing we're here to talk about. The the Cardinals prospect extraordinaire, Jordan Walker. You did a poll that said if Jordan Walker had the same career as J.D. Drew, would that disappoint you slash not match the hype? What was the expectations you had going into this poll, Kyle? And how did those expectations meet reality with the way that people voted or maybe not so much? J.D. Drew is such a divisive character uh, within Cardinal Nation. So oh, yeah. I, I, I kind of assume that it would be a, a large portion of the fan base would be disappointed with that outcome. Right. Uh, so I was prepared for that. I also intentionally chose J.D. Drew because there was a lot of hype around J.D. because he had a tumultuous career that had a lot to do with injuries here with the Cardinals specifically and maybe some comments that Tony La Russa made uh, about his ouchies. <laughs> that you know that, yeah. that, that I think that I think play into all of it, and I wanted to pick somebody like that because JD Drew also went on to have an elite career. It was great. It's not, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, not, it's not a Hall of Fame career, but it was an elite career. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look at the numbers, folks. They are pretty good. And so, when you were doing that, were you thinking, Kyle? Like, all right, I'm going to get people who maybe haven't pulled up. J.D. Drew's baseball reference page, or people who don't, you know, they they remember his career, but they remember kind of how they felt about his career more than like what the production actually was. I definitely wanted to see how many people we could get over the course of the next couple of days, the days the days after we put out the poll, yeah. to say, I didn't realize how good J.D. Drew was. <laughs> I, that was. That was definitely part of it. I But I did want to see how many people would do their research. And I also was just curious about the hype around Jordan Walker. And this stems from, you know, a couple conversations we've had, uh, you know, just from this whole offseason. And it it also comes back to some of the prospects that we've had come through the Cardinals organization in the last couple of years and how they're perceived before they even make a major league debut. Uh, You know, people call me the prospect guy. And the thing I always try to do as a, the quote-unquote prospect guy is I try to keep things as grounded as possible. I, I try my hardest. There's people out there who have, uh, are better scouts than I am, but I don't know if there's very many people that are as good at providing perspective as, as I do, especially within the Cardinals organization. That's that's really the only thing that separates me from people that are, are – because everyone's better than me, but that's like my little – Oh, come on. You always <laughs> do this. You always do this. You belittle your own self. Don't do that, Kyle. I'm not well, going to allow also- that. I'm, I'm calling it like it is because I'm also giving myself compliment here. Like, I, so because of that, like over the years, we've put up these polls. We asked if Matthew Libertor ended up having a career of Stephen Matz, would you be disappointed? Yeah. And that was that was overwhelmingly people would be disappointed uh, with Dylan Carlson. I, I said Nick Markakis. If Dylan Carlson turned out to be Nick Markakis, would you be disappointed? And the fans were overwhelmingly disappointed by this. So Jordan Walker is the crown jewel, right? He's 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 more than Dylan Carlson. He's I think that's fair. Yeah, exactly. He he's as close to Oscar Tavares, uh, and the collective consciousness thinks this. You know, I think Dylan, he's in that class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Dylan, he was between prospect like ten on Baseball America and then like thirty two on MLB and so on and so forth. With uh, you know he. 14th is the deepest you're going to see Jordan Walker ranked on Kylie McDaniel's list. That, like that's, that's it. That's how that's good in, that's in all the baseball. I mean, we're talking about all 30 teams, all 30 farm systems, organizations going into this year. Jordan Walker is 
you know, one of the top dozen, like you said, 14th is about as low as you're going to find him. And so, yeah, Cardinals fans are excited about this guy. They, you put up a trade poll. I mean, Cardinals fans are going to say, no, I'm not putting Jordan Walker in that. And you know what? I think the Cardinals organization feels the same way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So all of the, the whole premise behind the poll was just and early on in the morning, like I was listening to Hot Take Central with the cat and uh, Charlie Marlowe and Cam Jansen. They were they were talking about prospect hype. And I just mentioned that, in, you know, I texted in and I said, it seems to me that like there's some J.D. Drew hype going on. And that's kind of what fueled this and then right. how it how it how it manifested. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I was at. That's how we got to that point. And then as we saw the poll results develop, um, and at first, at first it was like 70% between 66 and 70% that would have been disappointed. And then as you and as I, I, <laughs> I going, saying, hold on now, wait a yeah, second. Yeah, it, no, exactly. Exactly. And as, as we started, as people started like doing the research and doing the work and as you started doing the work and me and then, you know, retweets, I th think that that number dropped down below 60. But to think that, uh, to think that a career like JD Drew's, even with the one all-star appearance, which people kept pointing to, which I find to be a laughable thing because the year he's finished sixth in the MVP, he didn't even make the all-star game. Right. Just to show you how kind of a joke that thing is, but uh, you know, you know, like I don't think people realize that, J.D. Drew had an elite career. I don't think that, the, yeah, they realize that guys like Sean Green have elite careers. You know, I, I think that if, if in 10 years, I'll, we'll compare somebody to Michael Brantley. And oh, it will be, one. you know, exactly. Like, it will, it'll be some prospect who's 10 years old right now. In 10 years, we'll compare him to Michael Brantley. And people are going to be like, oh, that's terrible. That's not good. Uh, that's That's not, that doesn't match the hype. And that's a shame because Michael Brantley has had an elite career. So I'm always I'm always fascinated by how prospect hype and perception drives exactly how we evaluate their major league success. Yeah, and like we don't have to get into guys like Dylan Carlson tonight because I want to I want to get your thoughts on Jordan Walker for sure, and I want to talk a little more about JD Drew because I'll, I'll give you my background on this. But like Dylan Carlson, for instance. If you look at the numbers and say, all right, he had a pretty good 2021, step back in 22, we know about the wrist injury and maybe there are reasons for that. Didn't do as well against right-handed pitching. But it's like you're looking at the numbers and going, okay, 695 OPS this past year from Carlson. You know, all right, obviously nobody was thrilled with that. But these are the results that can happen sometimes from prospects because it's not automatic that even top prospects are going to turn into major league stars and Dylan Carlson, like you said, probably not of the same ilk that we, we placed Jordan Walker to be in terms of his classification as a prospect. But it just kind of goes to show you that even a guy like Dylan Carlson was well-regarded as a prospect, hasn't been a slam dunk and, and still could develop and turn into the guy that everybody hoped he could be. But the jump from minor leagues to major league baseball, it's not always automatic to just be a superstar. And that's why it's so crazy that when I look at this poll, and you mentioned it, it was around 60%, I think 59% total said, yeah, I'd be disappointed if Jordan Walker had a J.D. Drew career. And then you look at J.D. Drew's numbers. He had a career 873 OPS. I like OPS. You like OPS plus 125, right? 25% above league average for his position. Uh, just ridiculous in terms of like the career on base of 384, nearly a 500 slug for his career. Like great numbers. And then you look at wins above replacement. I didn't even realize this until I started digging into like, oh, I'm going to show these people in a tweet. I can't believe people are disparaging J.D. Drew like this. 44.9 wins above replacement. Now, that's baseball reference. You might like fan graphs, whatever. But that's more than Matt Holiday in terms of wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. And I said, Kyle, if you, if you put this poll, Jordan Walker, Matt Holiday's career, people just have a different feeling about Matt Holiday. And so I said, oh, it's going to be 90%. What did it end up being close to that? I didn't see what the closing numbers on your Matt Holiday poll were. Yeah, you know, I think it was like somewhere between 89 and 92. It's crazy. And so I think I think narratives, like you said, can drive a lot of this and it can be fun to it's like you're playing gotcha. You're not trying to do it, but you kind of are because it's fun to see where people have the perceptions of different guys. But as long as we're on the same page, you and I about JD Drew, because I, JD Drew, my favorite player as a kid. I don't, he, ah. you know, I like number seven. I, I'm a left-hander. 
liked that, you know, as a lefty, I could play the outfield that, you know, it's first base. And I was a little guy, so I wasn't playing a lot of first base or I could pitch or I could be in the outfield. So I don't know. J.D. Drew, it was I was the right age, gravitated toward that left-handed swinging player. I just was like, all right, I'm all about J.D. Drew. Got to meet him at one point. Of course, he had a cast on his hand when we took the picture because it's J.D. Drew. I get it. The injuries are <laughs> part of what he uh, what he had to deal with. But I don't know. I was all about J.D. Drew. And the Cardinals traded him. I was like, this has got to be the worst trade in team history. Like, why would you trade J.D. Drew? He's so fantastic. And then 20 million years later, you know, I'll be covering Adam Wainwright in his final season this year. So it's kind of crazy the way that that works out. But you, you, we're on the same page there, J.D. Drew. What were your thoughts of J.D. Drew when he was a Cardinal? Because you're a little older than me, so you probably have even more of a recollection than I do. How dare you? No, uh, I... You're a little older than me. You know, we're about the same, probably. I don't know. You're, you know... I'm old. No, okay. so oh, I'm, not C- I'm not C70 old, but I'm no. old. No, no, no. Because we're doing this podcast, you know, 845. This would be pretty well after his bedtime. I don't think this would, would be able to fly if it was was his podcast. But uh, but J.D. Drew, what were your thoughts on him when, you know, growing up as a Cardinals fan or what, what, however old you were? you When you were in your 30s watching J.D. Drew play with the Cardinals, what did you, what do you think of him? I remember being very impressed. You know, I, I remember specifically when Mark McGuire was going on that run. Yeah. And he, he was making his major league debut. And I remember just being impressed. I would have been, you know, I would have been like 12, 13 at that okay. time. So right, right as you're really getting into, like back then getting into baseball. Nowadays, sure. kids get into baseball that way when they're like eight and they're in labs and, you know, so anyways, like, yeah, I was, I was in my early preteens, preteens and early teens and, I remember being frustrated as a kid when he was always hurt. I, I like, I understand that. I do remember that, you know, yeah. I, I definitely like, I remember distinctly the moment and it might've been on the radio in the couple days afterwards, but I do remember hearing Tony La Russa say the word, uh, JD's got an ouchie. Yeah. Like I remember that. And I remember that there was some hubbub about it, him being kind of a locker room issue because of the health. But I do remember when he was on the field, he was a great player. And that was, that's it. Yeah. It's kind of in the narrative too. Everybody says, oh, he was always hurt. He didn't love baseball, which I don't know. I was a kid. I don't know. Maybe he didn't love baseball, but I, I wonder And Tony LaRusse is a whole fame manager, obviously. I, but I wonder if Ali Marmo was managing JD Drew, do people maybe have a different interpretation? Because Tony didn't care. You know, he was gonna, he was gonna find his ways to kind of, you know, massage that out there. And, and you'd, if you read between the lines, you'd know how he felt. And then you can get that way with Ollie, too. But I feel like Ollie has just such a good way about him where maybe folks would have had a different interpretation of J.D. Drew if that were the case. Or even Mike Schilt. Can you imagine Mike Schilt being J.D. Drew's manager? Yeah, yeah. it would have been it would have been different there, too, I think. Even even Colby Rasmus. Like, I think that when we were going through the Colby saga, there were a lot of parallels that people would draw with J.D. Definitely. Drew. I feel yeah. like that was something. And I, that's another person, like, Without TLR there, honestly, the, the Cardinals probably don't trade Colby Rasmus. You know, that's that's the craziest thing in all of it. Which is you know? weird, and it's like Colby Rasmus went on to have a fine career. Yeah. The Cardinals also had to trade him in that 2011 season, and it doesn't matter that the guys they got were not no, – none of them were stars, right? It didn't matter, but it was like that was the juju that that team needed, and so they won the World Series, and, and it's all good, which I always point to that and say, I don't care – and maybe this is uh, a little bit hyperbolic, but I'm always like, I don't care who the player is. If you're telling me this is your your team and you can guarantee my team is going to win World Series or win a championship that year, doesn't matter the sport, you can have him. Like if I, if I have to sacrifice a player in in a trade where it goes, oh man, he's going to have a great career. I think you, you say, yes, I'll do that. Of course, you can't guarantee a championship. It's not how it works. But if we're playing the fun hypothetical game, then I've always said, I don't care who the player is. You can you can trade him. It doesn't matter as long as you're going to win. And so Colby Rasmus went on to have a, a fine career. Like, look at an example of the St. Louis Blues. You trade Tage Thompson. That's a perfect example. Like, I don't care what he does for the next 15 years. Worthwhile trade. Maybe we don't feel so good about the Blues this year. But, you know, it, you won the cup, guys. It it just kind of is what it is. That's Those are my thoughts on that, Kyle. I don't know how you feel about that. I feel the same way, Brendan. You know, it's... Uh... Of course, the ends don't always justify the means, but right. I think in, in sports, in professional sports, they do more so than they don't. I think that's why we spend a lot of time uh, with the vantage point of having, uh, you know, being able to look back in the past and start grading trades 10 years later or five years later. Oh, and you know? we want to grade those trades seconds later. I mean, that's we grade those trades before they happen. But you're right. Like it, it's a 
it's a process for all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's about perspective, which is really why we're talking in the first place. It's, it's amazing how perspectives shift over the years and uh, how, how the people around you on a baseball team can, can help the perspective that players have of you, right? Like, um, the same thing might happen with Jordan Walker. You never know what the Cardinals offense is going to look like when he does eventually make a major league debut. But part of our concern with Dylan Carlson is that, and you want your young players to make an impact. And he was when he wasn't hurt and then he got hurt and he didn't. And sure. Like so far his baseline of like the worst possible outcome is a league average outfielder offensively, which is a plus like those guys don't actually grow on trees, but the Cardinals need more than that. So that's why I tend to be a little bit more aggressive defending players when we look for like the comp or the hype or what they're capable of or what we should expect from them. Oh because boy, yeah. Major League, Major League Baseball is so tough. It is, it's so tough, and it's tougher for hitters than it is for pitchers, and it's tough for pitchers. Yeah. So that that's that's why I tend to always go down these little rabbit holes. That word you used the word there. You said expect and. I feel somebody said when we were having this conversation about Jordan Walker, J.D. Drew said, well, here's what J.D. Drew was like. Don't you think the Cardinals expect more than that out of Walker? And I I said, listen, I think they maybe hope for you can hope for anything you want. And sometimes that hope can be, you know, it could have a 30 percent chance of being realized or maybe 50 percent. You know, we don't really know. But to say I expect that Jordan Walker is going to have a 45 wins above replacement career over 13, 14 years. Like it'd be, it'd be good for that to happen, but say, Oh, I expect that as the floor. Again, you mentioned the perspective and the fact that it's really hard. Major league baseball is really hard. So you can't just assume that these things are going to happen. You can have some informed hope that is going to, and that a guy's career can, can reach those heights. But it's kind of crazy when you look at, Oh yeah, I'm going to poo poo JD drew. And then you look and go, Oh, there's a, how many dozen outfielders in the history of baseball have accomplished offensively, defensively, combine it into war, what J.D. Drew has, and the number might not be all that high. So let me get your thoughts specifically on Walker. We can we can uh, move past the J.D. Drew thing. I did want to talk about it because that was hilarious. I love that poll. That was fantastic. Um, yes, I would vote yes. Give me the, the J.D. Drew career for Jordan Walker. But what do you make of Jordan Walker? He was drafted in that COVID draft class and has pretty much not skipped a beat has like as a professional to have the success that he's had at each stage and at the age that he's been when he's going to these different levels, just gush about Jordan Walker or don't gush about him. If you don't like him that much, Kyle, if you think he's just kind of so, so let me hear from the prospect guy. What do you really think about Jordan Walker? Just I'll give, give you free reign on this one. No, he's special. He is a special talent. He's a special young man. And he's a special athlete and a special baseball player. I think the thing that sticks out to me the most um, over the years, the last year or so, I've been doing polls at points in the season or not polls, kind of not comparisons, but just sharing the stats of Dylan Carlson as a 20 year old at double A as compared to oh, yeah. Jordan Walker at that level. Uh, but what's really impressive is that Jordan Walker was as successful as Dylan Carlson with like. I think between 500 and a thousand less at bats at those levels wow. and at bats don't tell us all that we need to know. Right. You know, it's not, it's not always at bats don't always translate into more success, but the fact that Jordan Walker coming out of 2020 coming out of COVID where his first taste of organized baseball affiliated baseball is in a camp in Sajay, Illinois <laughs> uh, from, from there. I kind of forgot about that. That, that did happen. Amazing. It's all amazing. Like, yeah, again, not to keep going down Dylan Carlson, but even Dylan Carlson, think about that. The kid makes his major league debut in 2020 coming from a backfield in Sajay uh, during a pandemic. No, and- I don't think you can say that. I, I, backfield in Sajay <laughs> just does not. I'm glad, by the way, glad you're wearing clothing for this, uh, for this podcast. You had threatened on Twitter to go, uh, to go in your birthday suit, but you've got the Poyos Hermanos shirt on, which is fantastic. Um, but so, so thank you for that, but go ahead. The, yeah. the back, we were, we talking about a backfield in Soja. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Carry on with, uh, with that train of thought, please. Uh, how much clothing do you think I'm wearing? Let's, no, I know there's at least, are, are there, are there pants? I don't show me if not, I just look, if you're not willing to look, I'm not willing to show the face tells me that I should not be pursuing this line of questioning. <laughs> That's on you. Hey, look, you told me to drink for this. This is on you. Like I did tell you that because that's your comfort zone. 
You said backfield and Soze, though. I didn't bring that into this. That was your doing. But anyway, they were they were at, they were on the backfield in Soje. What happened next? I, I hesitate to ask. Yeah, and then what happened next is what happens on all backfields in Soje. Uh, you find your way to Palm Beach. No, sure. so okay, good. Back on so, track. I love it. So it's been amazing to watch him develop the way he has with such little major league experience or minor league uh, affiliated experience. Yeah. At a time, too, when the short season affiliates are no longer in existence. You know, both he and Mason Wynn deserve a ton of credit for, for the way that they've developed. And they mature having, quickly, right? They're being forced to mature quickly, and they are responding to it. And to see him continue to grow and to continue to develop at Double A, like, he didn't rest being successful at Double A. He continued to learn and grow, and we saw him tap into some of the that raw power that comes secondary in his in his arsenal behind his hit tool because his hit tool is more advanced than his in-game power tool. Right. So what we saw by the end of the year is I've talked about it a little bit is we we saw him start turning on pitches and instead of having his swing is a beautiful swing that's designed to almost be defensive by nature but to still make hard contact. So that's why he's so good at putting the ball in the opposite field gap or down the opposite field line but mostly in the opposite field gap. But a lot of times that would mean that he wouldn't turn on a ball. And at the end of the year, we saw him turning on the baseball. And you could see him get more comfortable in that in-game power. If he continues to develop that, then, yeah, there will be a season or two or ten or whatever of 30 home runs and whatever RBI opportunities are presented in front of him. Oh, interesting. So you think he could maybe be that 30 home run guy? I, it's, it's in there. Yeah. And if he continues to develop on this track – then it will be there, but it's a very delicate balance. And I do think he's smart. You know, he's, he's an incredibly intelligent kid right. with, with next level baseball IQ with the work ethic that you, you hope every player has. So he has everything from an intangible standpoint working for him. And he is because of who he is and the person that he's become at the age of 2021, 20, but it's still not easy. We've still seen him struggle with sweeping sliders on the outside half by righties. Now, that's kind of a throwaway line because every every player in the minor league struggles with that because they don't see it that often. Right. You know, um, so he's going to need to adjust there. I, I heard Jeff Ponce from Baseball America on the Baseball America podcast talk about he also has a little bit of an issue with pitches up in the zone. Now, I think that's an area that he he has started to close up Uh which is another positive, but he also doesn't do the same type of damage with that pitch just yet. I think he's beginning to do that damage, but all of these things are to just say that a, a player, especially as physically mature and as mentally mature as Jordan Walker is, that player can make a huge jump and be major league ready in an off season. But it is a tough ask, even for someone as physically and mentally and baseball mature as he is. While at the same time, while it's uh, a defensive change that maybe we don't value the way we should value, right. learning a new position. Uh, a corner outfield is is easy when you're playing it in, the, in Little League or in high school and maybe even in college to a degree. But when you're learning it in the minors or, God forbid, learning it in the majors, which we have seen We've seen guys try <laughs> it, it's even even super athletic players like Colton Wong. Yeah. You know, so there's nothing of Matt Adams, but uh, like it's a lot more difficult to do in these cavernous ballparks than people give it credit for. You know what? I I've kind of been of the mind and I might have bring, brought it up on B-Shape Daily before, too. But I've been of the mind that when you look at that utility gold glove that I thought Tommy Edmond kind of got robbed. Because and Brendan Donovan even said it when a warm up, like Tommy Edmund is the better defender than me. Uh, so I have not talked trash about winning that gold glove over him. But maybe there's something to the fact that Donovan just got thrown out into the outfield and like held his own. Like you talk about, like it's not an easy thing to do. God forbid learning it at the major league level just to be thrown out into the outfield. That's that's probably notable. But like for, for Jordan Walker's purposes, yeah, the trade deadline happens, the Cardinals trade Bader. And that sort of seemed to be the thing that unlocked it, which I, I guess you could have moved Jordan Walker to the outfield before that because you knew Nolan Arenado wasn't going anywhere. But that seemed kind of like the natural. Suddenly the deck was cleared for, hey, we can see how Jordan Walker could get to the big leagues as an outfielder. So, hey, 
go out and do it. And he's had, we should respect that he's had only about, you know, whatever it's been six months or so of actually working as an outfielder, because we might think whatever we do about his hit tool and his ability is in the batter's box, but that should be notable. Like he's not going to, they're not going to throw him into a situation where he's not comfortable yet to be able to do what he needs to do at the major league level for a position that he's been playing for half a year only. Yeah. And he might, you know, he'll, he will have moments that are super impressive. And I know he's made, you know, a tremendous amount of, of made up a tremendous amount of ground this off season in a corner outfield, becoming more comfortable and more comfortable out there. But we know how delicate this Cardinals pitching staff is. Uh, we know that the swing and miss is kind of an issue, which means right. balls you know, are going to play. Exactly. Now they do do they do put the ball on the ground more than they put it in the air, which is good. Uh, but you you have to be careful with that stuff. And I you know I would love to. I can't wait to see where he's at in spring training. I guess that's the bottom line. You know yeah. I, we we need to wait and see. I I know from talking with people that I trust at the end of the Arizona Fall League that he wasn't there yet. He wasn't he wasn't close to being major league ready there. He he probably could handle the the assignment at high A or at double A or triple A. You know triple A. But the consensus from people I talk to and people that I trust is that he wasn't he wasn't there yet. And I, again, he's a hard worker. He's putting it all in. And we've seen him make up for some mistakes already that he's made out in the outfield with his big arm and the athleticism that he possesses in that big body. And that's all positive, too. But again, when you talk about setting up a 2021 year old for major league success, even if they're advanced, even if they have all of the tools that you want out of a hitting prospect uh, or a player in general, not even a prospect. It does you well, it does a team well, it does the player well to find an opportunity to call the player up when it is time, when they are capable of being put in a position to have success. You know, Tony La Russa did it better than anybody, not with prospects, but with bit players. You right. put them in a position where they can have success and they have success. And I don't think it does anybody any good if Jordan Walker is still struggling out in the outfield or if uh, it doesn't do him any good to be at the major league level if he's struggling out in the outfield. The bottom line uh that, that's just my thought about it. But when he's ready, he's going to be special. Yeah. And so and, and that's good to be able to get a little bit of insight about his defense because it's something that you may – it's an afterthought, I think, in, in a lot of ways when people think about Jordan Walker because they're so excited about the bat, and rightfully so. Um, but it, it ends up being something that does matter, and they'll have to get that into a place where it's comfortable before they're going to bring him along. Uh, you mentioned the Arizona Fall League, though, and because who cares about defense? Let's talk about his bat. Uh, how about the power progression? You mentioned at the end of the season, he really started to to grow into that. And I think a lot of his power is projectable. The fact that he's got the the on base and the batting average stuff that he has up to double A. I mean, to be an over 300 hitter at, at the age, you know, 19 to 20 years old at double A, you're kind of like, eh, I'm not really even worried about the power yet. But the fact that the power starts to come along, you ended the season with 19 home runs. There's no, That's nothing to sneeze at. But then five home runs and like 90 plate appearances in the fall league. What do you think about that? It, what does that say about his power and, and the way it projects moving forward? Now, the fall league is a weird league, and I know that they call it the finishing school, you know, for, for prospects. I don't think it's that. I think that gets overblown a little bit. I think that that league is a little more unbalanced now than it's ever been and I think it's hard to really get a read for but five home runs is five home runs it's just like if you talk about Connor Thomas being the AFL pitcher of the year uh you know be, winning that award is still winning that award and I think it shows exactly what we're talking about the comfort projections the understanding of the swing how he's being attacked and the adjustments that come within a game that every major leaguer needs and he's making those strides he's he's close you know uh we, we talked a little bit about maybe some issues up top in the zone and maybe some issues with sweeping sliders my only other area where i've ever had an issue with with him while watching him is he gets frustrated with the umpires if he's not getting strikes if, he, if he's getting strikes against if he's getting strikes against him low in the zone yeah now he's come a long way in a year a, a, a very very long way in a year a year ago he was you could get emotional. You could see him. He'd jaw with the umpires. He'd stand up there. He'd actually look bad. But it's tough for him because he's tall. Yeah. And when he's when he's getting pitches below the knees that are called strikes. That's it, drastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the truth is he probably knows the strike zone better than some of those high A or low A or umpires, especially, you know, double A umpires are a little bit better, but he probably knows the strike zone a little bit better than them. Uh, so it's it's frustrating. 
And he's come a long way in not being as frustrated or not letting those frustrations show, but he still gets frustrated with that. And I think that that plays into some of my my worries about how he'll adapt to uh, better sliders, better breaking pitches on the outside half, especially if they're commanded low, because I, I worry that he'll either go outside of himself or become frustrated to the point where it plays against him. But yeah. it, again, I don't think he will because he's such a smart baseball player. Yeah, and like just hearing him talk at winter warm-up, it's interesting because it, it feels as though he acknowledges where the holes in his game are, and he's not like trying to rush anything about this process where he feels like it's got to be right now that I get it figured out. And I think Cardinals fans are mostly understanding as well of the notion that like, okay, everybody wants to see him, but it, it you know, it's going to be a process and it doesn't have to be right away. Now, spring training can decide a lot, especially with the World Baseball Classic going on. Dude's going to play, and I think – I think the Cardinals are excited to throw him kind of into the fire, so to speak, and just see what he's able to do in the batter's box, in the outfield, getting those reps. Like it could be sort of that Albert Pujols spring training where he just does so well that they're like, all right, you've, you know, you forced our hand into considering you. I'm not saying anybody should be predicting that let's slow down. But like, I, I think in Jordan Walker's mind, he's not expecting that it has to go that way, but I think he's, you know, open to the possibility that, hey, like the major league staff is going to get to look at me. They've heard a lot about me, but now they're really going to get to look at me up close and personal. And so I just feel like his demeanor, you mentioned like the stuff about the strike, you know, strike calls and maybe having a, a little bit of a maturation process there, which I wasn't really aware of that. So that's kind of an interesting tidbit. But like, I feel like when he goes through a process like that, it happens quicker for Jordan Walker than maybe it does the average person because he recognizes here's a flaw that I have and I am... A, in in a mature enough situation and just the way I carry myself to here's how I go about addressing it and then work at it. And I feel like that's just kind of the, the person and player that he is and is going to be. So like, I don't know something about his demeanor for me. I'm not saying he should jump straight from double a to the big leagues, you know, remember expectations versus hope. I don't think we should expect that to happen, but like, I don't know. Part of me in my mind is open to the possibility because like, this guy's just continued to do things that probably defy what the expectations should be. And so I'm kind of just like leaving that open in the back of my mind. Like maybe he has a great spring and, and we see him sooner rather than later. I don't know. I don't know how you think I'm not putting you on the spot of like, when do you think he gets to the big leagues? But just like, is that a thought process that makes sense to you where Jordan Walker is who he is. And therefore we could see him rapidly progressing just as he has all the way through since 2020 when the Cardinals drafted him. Yeah, I think between the situation in the outfield uh, and the hype that comes with him and the Cardinals' desire to win, I, I do think that he will give – he'll be put in a position where he'll get every chance to break with the major league club. I, I don't think – like, the Cardinals have never been one to manipulate service time. I know some fans get frustrated with that. And they think that it happens, but they've never been one. And they, and they bring up the Gorman thing last year when he was – he had some real holes in his swing, and those kind of manifested at the big league level eventually too. Like, the strikeouts in AAA – you're like, hey, he's leading the you know the world in home runs. It's like that's true, but there were you know there were other things and 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 reasons for the way it went. Even though I would agree, it probably was prolonged more than it should have been in terms of getting him up. But you're right; I don't think it's like going to be a service time based thing. Yeah, and you know the thing about Gorman is he was such a streaky hitter in the minors. He's always been a streaky hitter in the minors, yeah. and it made a lot of sense to get him cold. A sense if you understood like his hitting habits in minors, but uh, to Jordan Walker he'll get every chance to break with the club to make an impression or to put himself in a position to get a quick call up and he'll get it uh, as soon as he's ready for it. I, I do envision a situation, a scenario uh, kind of like you mentioned where we break camp and Jordan Walker's with the big team. I, I, I think he's capable of it because of the smarts, because of the maturity, the, the strength, the power, the, the hit tool, his desire to be as good his as he can be, his work ethic, all of it. It all plays into these things that could push him onto a major league roster. For me, I always tend to be a little bit more conservative with development because I understand the, how dangerous it is uh, and how quickly everything can fall apart and how hard it is to regain that that little bit or even a, even a little bit, but all of it back. So I, I personally would like for the three outfielders, Lars Newfar, Dylan Carlson, and Tyler O'Neill, to make it impossible for him to come up to the major leagues and force him, regardless of how he's playing, to get some time at AAA. 
just to prove that in game, because spring training still isn't in game, but just to prove just just to prove that in game in a competition that matters matters that he's comfortable out in the outfield while adapting to older pitching at a triple a level because that's what i want to see and i think that the cardinals would do themselves well and i think they almost owe it to jordan unless he's unless he's albert pools uh to to do that okay so kyle you mentioned the notion of guys like newt bar o'neill carlson like those guys can force the issue to make it difficult on the cardinals to bring up jordan walker right away like in a perfect world those guys do force the issue and they play well but how much do you think there is a similar or dissimilar situation compared to last year with Nolan Gorman, where it was like, okay, Paul DeYoung ended up being the guy that was struggling, and eventually the Cardinals were like, okay, we got to make this decision. And that sort of led to having an infielder like Nolan Gorman, okay, he's coming up, we're going to cut back on DeYoung, send him down, whatever it was. And that involves some positional weirdness because the Cardinals, for whatever reason, were so reluctant to try Tommy Edmond at shortstop. And then once they did, he was great. And it all was like, oh, yeah, he, he can play shortstop. Do you think this situation is different because the positional aspects of it open up Jordan Walker to having more possibility to be in that outfield mix? Or, like, do you think the individual performance is like, you want these guys to do well, but, like, how do you think it's going to work out? Because we've heard Ali Marmel basically say, Newt Barr is is in, you know, he's locked into that starting lineup. Everybody else is, they haven't gone so far as to say like Carlson, O'Neill, like those spots are secure 100%. So kind of how do you view that situation of, is it as open or more open to Jordan Walker relative to the Nolan Gorman situation last year to be able to, to, to carve out that opportunity in your mind? I do think it's more open. I, I think the circumstance is just a little bit different, you know, coming off of the uh, the lockout. I think that kind of changed that whole trajectory. You know, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, even Brendan Donovan, although Brendan Donovan stuck around, none of those guys really got a fair shake. You know, you get five games into the, the spring, and each guy has like 12 at-bats, and now Corey Dickerson's a part of the team. And now oh, yeah. Reports, you know. Oh, I'm going to cut you off right there because I remember, and I just tweeted about this the other day, when the Cardinals signed Corey Dickerson, like I was in spring training down there in Jupiter. I think it was, I guess it would have been March because the lockout had happened. And so everything was delayed already. And they signed Corey Dickerson and Twitter like exploded that, oh, the Cardinals, this, this is what it means. They're trading Lars Newpar for Frankie Montas. What did you think about that at the time? Like try to take yourself back to, to that time in that place. I remember arguing with people because my thought was, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a smart depth move. Yeah. You know, that was my whole thing with pools too, that I ended up being wrong about. I, you know, I, I didn't understand all the hubbub. I thought that it was a smart depth move, you know, one year, $2.5 million. And that's exactly what he was for the first three and a half ish months of the year before he went in Fuego, before I went 2003 Albert pools. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't remember having any, like, the Cardinals do this all the time, and I guess when you spend as much time like paying attention to minor league free agents and the players the Cardinals bring in, and how every year they have a ton of a ton of outfielders brought in, and a ton of pitchers, and a ton of catchers, and it's like, what does this mean for so and so? Everybody wants so -so? to know what does this mean. I was that's exactly, exactly the phrase I was going to use. Yeah, it, what it means is that the Cardinals understand the importance of depth. The Cardinals and are maybe, a baseball team. That's what it, they're an organization. That's what that's what it means, guys. And, and and maybe even they overvalue depth to a degree, but they understand they view depth as a as a protective coat, sort of speak. You know that that protects them in the case everything goes wrong. So they they build depth and they build depth and they build depth. I don't remember ever remember thinking that uh, a Lars Newbar trade or a Frankie Montas trade was going to happen. You I was know? like, I was like, okay, if they're trading for Frankie Montas, which now he's always kind of injured and it's good that they didn't, but like guys, if they're doing that, it's not because of this Corey Dickerson signing like that. Lars Newbar is cost controlled available to this team for years and years to come. Corey Dickerson will be here for six months like that. I was, I remember too, I was, I might've even been driving back from spring, spring training by the time I was recording a podcast about it. And I thought it'd be a great idea to just click record on my phone and just go like talking into the night in the middle of Georgia, wherever I was. And then there was like a spider on the inside of my car. And I totally included all of that in the podcast. Like, I think I need to stop recording right now. This spider is like going to get me anyway. That's just like where, my, where my brain is going from all that. So yeah, the Cardinals didn't trade for, uh, Lars Newbar for Frankie Montas, and it's and it's good that they didn't. 
Sorry for cutting you off on your you were you were talking about because I asked you a question, you were answering it, and then I said, No, let's talk about this other thing. You were talking about whether it's maybe more open to Jordan Walker this year in terms of his ability to get into that outfield make matrix, I should say. Yeah, I, I all that, you know, uh, as we as we went into that, all of that was just to say, yeah, look, I think the fact that there's three positions, you know, it's only two because he's only going to he's going to be a corner outfielder. But it, that still means that there's three positions and that he can he can technically break into, especially. It, yeah. So as Brendan puts the four up, on yeah, the I was going to say this is an here. audio podcast only, but thank you for I did. I held up four because there might be, you know, there's another spot now. Technically, technically, yeah, I, I, I have a, for me personally, and the data supports this. I wish I had something I could cite. I can never remember the article. Just make it up. Is, I'll believe you. Just like make yeah. it up. Make it sound good. Yeah, uh, Schweizer versus Ooh, the yeah, state of Minnesota. Yeah, uh, it, it's a legal chapter. proceeding. Yeah. Yeah, it's a legal proceeding is what it was. Um, uh, but it, the data shows that young players who come into the major leagues that get specific DH at-bats without a tremendous amount of minor league at-bats always end up floundering. And a lot of times it actually hurts their prospect status. Interesting. So, uh, like, for instance, that's why I was very against Nolan Gorman coming up to be a DH. And, and the Cardinals were too. They They wanted him to play the field, they said. Exactly. Now, I do think Juan Yepes is a little different. I think Moises Gomez could be a little bit different because oh, I think that, that just get the bat here in that case. Yeah, exactly. Like Juan Yepes is kind of he's has a lot of at bats, right? He was a minor leaguer for seven years. Uh, he has a lot of at bats. He's kind of a professional hitter. He understands what it takes to become a good hitter and how to adapt in game because he was nothing for like the first three or four years of his minor league career. But um that's all just to say that that's a tough ask for any player that has never just been a DH long-term to be a primary DH. Now you're right. The, the, the DH affords Jordan Walker, as well as those other outfielders at bats throughout the season. Because Tyler O'Neill could DH, right? He could be the DH that allows Jordan Walker to slip into left field or right field is, is maybe a way to look at it. We say that, but how valuable is defense for the St. Louis Cardinals? Good, good point. Because defense seems to be incredibly important, and if that's the case, oh, really then, interesting. Then it, exactly, exactly. So this is what I'm getting at. Ideally, answer your question because we've I've, we've both gone on just ridiculous tangents. This I was, was talking about this was inevitable. This was inevitable, but I like <laughs> it. I love it. Um, but uh, yeah, look, he's going to get every opportunity. That's just the facts. And we know that specifically because of what you mentioned earlier, the rhetoric coming from Oliver Marmol, the only person he's given a starting job is Lars Newfar. The Cardinals are incredibly confident in Lars Newfar and everybody in baseball uh, from the analyst not attached to it to the analyst inside of it seem confident that Lars Newfar is going to be um, an impact major leaguer next year. They're going to learn today if they don't. That's good. <laughs> Exactly. I've just been on board, man. I think Lars Newport, yeah. and I'm, I'm definitely pulling to see him kind of become that guy, which he, you know, could he arguably already has been. But go ahead, keep going. You're doing great for, for sure, for sure. So yeah, I, I do think that he has a better chance, especially with a full spring training, and especially with more at bats as compared to Nolan Gorman last year, to really assert himself into one of those starting spots. I think the other difference is the, and this this applied to last year, but I think we all didn't feel as comfortable that Nolan Gorman would get them a draft pick in return if finishing in the top three. Like there was a chance of it, but there's a wide Delta because of that strikeout capability. And yeah. because yeah. of some of the defensive questions we had and the defensive questions are there with Jordan Walker out in the corner, but we don't have that same concern. So you get a draft pick compensation if he finishes in the top of the rookie of the year. So I, I do think that plays into it a, a little bit as well. Um, because they can always send him down and stop his clock, you know, which yeah. is another thing that kind of gets lost in all of this. But yeah, uh, so I do think I think he's in a better spot for many, many reasons than Nolan Gorman was a year ago. Yeah, except for and I thought that as well. But then when you started talking about, OK, how do the Cardinals value defense? I, I began thinking like, OK, Tyler O'Neill, like if he's healthy, you want the bat to produce, but you can't really argue with his defensive acumen. He's a gold glover. Carlson, I think, is a really talented defensive center fielder. Newt Bar, I think, can be the same thing in right field. So I did like it's interesting. They're gonna if Jordan Walker is there, they're gonna want him to play the field, but also he's not as adept at playing the field because it's a new position to him. 
and the guys he would be replacing defensively if you were going to stick one of them at DH are better than him defensively for, you know, again, new position, and they've either got a gold glove or or have been projected to be a guy that could do that in the future. So I didn't really think about that. You almost, in answering the question in the affirmative, which is the way I felt about it going in, now I'm thinking about a new angle of, like, how difficult will it be for Walker to crack the rotation defensively, knowing all of that? And I took simultaneously agree with you that they they probably won't want him to DH because, it yeah. you know, of your data that was the Minnesota versus Schweizer or whatever it was. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, all right, you don't even have to respond to that. I did have one more question that I wanted to ask you of like along the fun lines, because these are the kinds of things that people think about Jordan Walker. Ultimately, what do you think is his ideal place in a major league batting order? Not for this year, but like the style of hitter that you project him to be, or that you think he's going to be, whatever. What do you think is the ideal spot for the the kind of hitter you think you'll become? Can I just say middle of the order? No, no. Top to middle of the order, you know. Well, let's talk. I, I mean, everybody's got their own different interpretations of what that means, what that looks like. I think it depends on who's around him. You yeah. know, I, all right. I, so I, let's say in two years, Goldsmith and Arenado are still plugging along, and you know, you maybe shave a little bit off of their productivity because they'll be a little older. But like you've got, let's assume you've got a couple of, uh, uh, you know, competent power hitting guys. Maybe they're not top three in MVP anymore, but competent guys. Is it ideal to have him, Jordan Walker, be like batting in the first inning in the two hole? Or do you think his power is such that they'll want him more in like an RBI spot? What do you? How, how do you view it? No, I, I would say that if you know you're still getting Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt as a top fifteen MVP vote getter, you know between yeah. ten and fifteen, eight fifty to nine hundred OPS, maybe more, you know whatever it ends up being. Yeah, I I would I personally would love to see Jordan Walker hit second in front of them. I was you thinking know, he, that too. <laughs> he's he's a, he's a tough at bat. You know, those yeah. two guys are tough at bats too. But if if they've already operated with Goldschmidt hitting third and Arenado hitting fourth, or Goldschmidt hitting second with O'Neill hitting third and Arenado hitting fourth, then I would like to see them maximize that first inning specifically. Uh, and I think that the way to do it, if Jordan Walker is you know, at 85% of that hype that we talked about, if he's a 260, 340, 440 hitter, you know. I mean, if he uh, could just be J.D. Drew, I think we, exactly. would, we would like yes. to Exactly, <laughs> yes. If he could be J.D. Drew in J.D.'s third year as a Cardinal, uh, then yes, I would love him to bat second. He has the athleticism. He's a smart base runner. He's a he's fast. He's fast home to first. He gets a little clunky the more bases he rounds, but it's, it's still a lot of – There's four of them too, so it's like you can't round that many of them. Yeah, and if he's rounding that many of them, he's probably jogging. He's so. just like he's just like Forrest Gumping it too. He's just like, nope, I'm just gonna keep going. I'm gonna go back to first. I'll give me two runs. <laughs> I love that. Oh, he's uh, smart. He's a smart baseball player. He knows the rules. I don't think he would do that. But maybe if he can put one over on these robot umpires, they won't really notice. And next thing you know, he's he's standing on second after a six bagger. I'm just trying to come up with the possibilities, Kyle. Yeah. I know that you're open minded, so uh, so I, I appreciate that as well. And then you know, also in the two spot. Uh, that's the old Tony Larissa hit. Have a little bit of power early on, which is yeah. is also uh, productive. And then if you want to continue to subscribe to maybe some old philosophies that I find to be false, uh, and that we've heard Paul Goldschmidt talk about being false, <laughs> yeah, what uh, are those? Uh, all of these uh, that they're quote unquote protection lineup. Yeah, he's protected by gold, and he's protected by Arenado when really the data uh, and the, we're starting to hear the superstars talk about it, say the opposite, that actually uh, a hitter is approached different when there's a batter on base or a hitter, someone on base, as opposed to somebody behind them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So like, if you want to subscribe to some of that stuff, then, then it makes sense to have Walker have the protection of gold, Goldschmidt and Arenado behind him. Yeah. And don't hear what we're not saying. I don't think either of us are in a spot where like, Jordan Walker's coming up in April and he's going to be batting second in 2023 because that is the way this is going to go. Again, like 898, I like OPS. I like looking at on base. I like looking at slugging. Batting average, I always, when people bring up batting average to me, my response is usually don't care. Batting average doesn't matter. It is notable to me that Jordan Walker is hitting 306 in double A at 20 years old. Like that, that still does mean something, but you got to kind of contextualize it with everything else. But to have a 900 OPS at double A, yes, there's going to be a bit of a curve and it's going to take some time. But I do think a couple of years down the road, he would profile as such a juicy number two hitter in a lineup because it's going to get on base. The power is going to kind of be what it is. I would be I'd be very intrigued to see it kind of break down that way as well. Anything else to add about Jordan Walker, Kyle? 
No, no, I, I think that, <laughs> no, we've said it all. It's done. <laughs> we've, said, we've said a lot. You know, I, I, I think that um, I think it's important, not only with talking about Jordan Walker, but we started talking about this. The reason you and I are talking is because of a poll about prospect hype. And I would like to try my hardest to remind people that almost always a prospect doesn't reach their ceiling. Uh, and almost always the prospect in this day and age doesn't hit that hype because the hype machine has kind of become its own thing. So just remember that. And also try to remember that there's still people. I, I know that that's ridiculous. And, you know, we, we like to think that our, our athletes are these stoic gladiators in a Roman Coliseum somewhere. And they are when they're inside of the Coliseum, but we are a connected society that is constantly breathing down each other's throats. So don't forget that this 20 year old kid, and I can't speak for him, but there are 20 year old kids out there, uh, 18 year old, a 24 year old, a 27 year old prospects in the organization that are hearing everything and uh, who are feeling those expectations and who, when they make a major league debut and have a great stretch of success and then struggle a little bit, hear that and feel that. And just remember that baseball is a game built on failure. It's not a game built on success. It's a game built on failure. It's it's fundamentally a game of failure. I long term I have long believed that the reason why so many of us love baseball is because it is a game built on failure. We all can we all can like we all can feel that. We all can understand that. We all understand what it's like to be overmatched in a box. Just try to remember that's great and it's fine to have these expectations and to hope that. Jordan Walker is going to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer in 30 years. Okay, I got to be I got to be real with you. Say that one more time because you cut out at a perfect time and it's like Jordan Walker is going to be a Cardinals Hall of Famer in 30 years. <laughs> That's what I heard. I think you were cautioning people against like get yeah. overboard with the expectations and heaping those on these guys who are who are human beings as well. That was it. That was it. I, I was just saying, you know, we, 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 we might, there might be a chance that in 30 years he's getting the red jacket, but that's not likely. Uh, that's just how this thing works, even for the best prospects in baseball. Like, will, you know, uh, Wander Franco was the best prospect in baseball last year. That's a great example. It, exactly. Is he going to have his number retired by the the Rays? I based mean, on like his first, matters. based on his first, right? Based on his first two seasons, though. To your point, no. I mean, he's been a fine, above average producing big leaguer, not the second coming of. I was going to say Derek Jeter, but that's a whole nother can of worms because some people say he stinks. But anyway, totally taking your point is that he was as big of a prospect as you could be. He has elevated to the major leagues, has played pretty solidly injuries aside and ends up what do people think about him they kind of dismiss him now like oh he's not you know because he's yeah. he, he didn't meet the expectations or at least hasn't so far yeah and even even vladimir guerrero jr who has an mvp under his belt like uh you know we we set these lofty expectations and it's not easy to hit them and then the the louder it gets the, the louder the drum beat gets, the harder it is to get the drum beat out of your head. Hmm. So just that that's it. That's that's how I would I'd like to kind of leave it. And whether that's about Jordan Walker or Mason Wynn or even still Dylan Carlson or Tyler O'Neill or Lars Newbar, you know, there's we talked about Lars. Lars is gonna face a, a lot of scrutiny this year. Yeah. That's that's just the bottom line because half of the fan base wouldn't trade him for the best pitcher in baseball, and half of the fan base can't wait to trade him for a number four starter and there he's a prospect he's a prospect he's a player underneath the spotlight at the major league level and it's it's a it's going to be a hot spotlight for him so he's even going to be a fascinating thing to watch so just just try to remember all that you know uh, and, and remember that it's a game in the end and even though we spend a lot of money supporting him yeah and make sure you get really really mad and tell kyle about it because he enjoys that on twitter um this has been great, Kyle. I you, you, even in that little speech you were talking right there, I'm thinking, oh, that's a player that we got to talk about. We got to, oh, I got to ask him about this. So we are going to do this again. Really appreciate it. But before we get going, I want to give you a little bit of an opportunity to sort of plug and talk about your prospect list that you've been writing because I know it used to be, you know, 35 and now it's like 105. Like, 
tell, talk a little bit about that and tell people where they can they can read your stuff. It's a disaster, Brendan. <laughs> you just love it so much. You have to continue to add and make this list bigger. I know. Oh God! You know the truth is, I just I I'm stupid. No, uh, the so over at Birds on the Black, I've been doing the Dirty Fifty. And that is actually now like the dirty 109 or something like that. Okay, I was joking about 105. It really is like that potentially that long. So we are, we are ranking the top 50, but it turned out to be 51. Yeah. And then I'm doing the five hitting prospects that just missed the list. The five pitching prospects that just missed the list that gets us up to about 61. Yeah. And then uh, what we did last year is we did the shrine part one and the shrine part two uh one is for hitters one is for pitchers and i just it's like information vomit where i just go over all of the prospects that i can think of that are worth mentioning that i haven't mentioned and we give the stats we give a gif because i do all the gifting throughout the year well wonderful i love it it's it's the visual i like to think of it like internally like in my mind I, I, i think of it as like the visual diary of the st louis cardinal prospects nice uh, so so my guesses will probably cover an additional at least 30 prospects between those extra two lists. So that'll get us above 100 in some capacity. And that's all over at birds on the black. Uh, I've actually released up till prospect number 14 on birds on the black. I'm at like 34 or 33 or 32 on Twitter. Okay. But uh, you can go and check them out. And of course the, the pictures are by the incredible Cardinals gifts. My, my brother from another mother uh, who makes all of that possible. So, uh, yeah, if you're inclined and also, also the one last thing I will say before I let you go or before you let me go, <laughs> I was like, I'm taking over this ship. No, go ahead. Your darn tootin', um, <laughs> is in every one of those, those write-ups that I have, there's like a prospect preamble where I kind of give uh, a lay of the land on what this is and what exactly it is. And the thing that I would really like to plug aside from that is inside of that article, I, I have links to fan graphs and Baseball America and Prospect Live and the Cardinal Nation with Brian Walton. Um, all of the subscription services, you should really, if you're into prospects, you should really think about subscribing to all of those. And I also link to each and every one, MLB, Fangraphs, Prospect Live, the Cardinal Nation, Baseball America, and then our good friend, uh, Kareem SSN on Twitter, and then Cardinal Reeks on Twitter. They put out a top 12 prospects, a data-driven top 12 prospects in in the Cardinal organization. You should click on that link. You should check it out. Uh, Click on all those links, support all of that stuff, because the more educated we become about prospects, the more we can understand how we are um, and measure our disappointment and happiness. There you go. Well, that's really good stuff, Kyle. And I know a lot of people are familiar with you by now, but if somehow you aren't familiar with Kyle and that was kind of your introduction, Kyle, I mean, works really hard on the prospect stuff. And for people who are like, I like the Cardinals, I like baseball, but I've never really followed it on that level. Check out Kyle. What's your Twitter? Kyle R416. Yeah, that's it. At Kyle R416. Check him out on Twitter. Check out his prospect lists and all this stuff because you'll learn stuff. And it's kind of cool to be able to know the guys that are coming up. I know a lot of people are, are into this now, probably more than they were five, 10 years ago. But I think there's still a lot of fans out there who say, ah, you know, guy could come up and you don't really know about him. If you read Kyle's stuff, you'll probably know about these guys before they get to the big league. So, you know, we try to talk about it on B-Shape Daily and stuff. I, I don't go into the depth that Kyle does. Kyle lives and breathes this stuff. So love having him on to be able to talk about prospects. And, hey, when the Cardinals have arguably the best one in baseball this year, it, it was great to get uh, your thoughts on Jordan Walker. Appreciate you for joining me today, man. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, check me out on Twitter at C70. <laughs> and I joke too. I told Kyle, we're not going to do this hour long episode thing. It's not a C70 podcast. And here we are. I'm sure this is well over an hour, but thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. We'll do it again soon. You're the best, man. Thank you. Kyle Reese of Birds on the Black. It was great talking with Kyle. Appreciate you guys for listening to B Shape Daily. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. The prospect talk. It's a lot of fun. I like getting into the weeds on that stuff, but Kyle really does. He puts in a lot of time. Watching these minor league games in the summer, he he puts the gifts out on Twitter. I do recommend you follow him, Kyle R four one six. It's at Kyle R four one six on Twitter. Uh, zany guy. He'll he'll like he mentioned drinking during the podcast. I told him just do it because he does his pod uh, prospects after dark, and that's exactly what he does. And he gets a little wild. So uh, if that's your speed, 
absolutely go check him out because he does a lot of good stuff. But I just wanted to wrap up this episode of B-Shape Daily. Thank you guys once again for listening. Apologies for any of the audio that kind of cut out there. I went through, tried to edit through it. So hopefully it wasn't too uh, hindering to the experience. But appreciate you guys. As always, make sure you subscribe, follow, whatever you got to do to make sure B-Shape Daily is in your life moving forward. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts are the two best places to find it. If you enjoy what we're doing here, check out patreon.com slash bshafer12 to support the show. Thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you again next time on B-Shafe Daily. Peace.